very welcome to this week's Out of the Ordinary. Today I'm outside the Tivoli Theatre on Francis Street in Dublin and inside Mr Ireland himself, Carl Bow, is getting ready for tonight's performance of You Don't Bring Me Flowers. He plays Zach in the show. So Carl is 25 and right now it looks like he has everything going for him. Not only is he the reigning Mr Ireland, but he's successfully pursuing his dream of becoming an actor. So while things are going very well for Carl right now, this hasn't always been the case. You see, for almost 10 years, he suffered at the hands of bullies and his school days were very, very difficult. With Carl though, the bullies didn't win. I'm just heading into the foyer of the theatre here and I'm just going to meet him. And there he is, you can't miss him. Hello, Carl. Brenda, how are you? Great to see you again. Good to see you. Are you keeping well? I'm keeping fantastic. Even better now after seeing you. Oh, stop. <laughs> Too much. Where are we going to go and have a chat? Well, let's go upstairs. We're going to show you where the theatre is and then oh, we'll have us up, go upstairs into the green room. So, Carl, you're treading the boards tonight. You don't bring me flowers. Yes. And you're acting. Well done. Tell us a little bit about the play. Well, it's a comedy that stars Catherine Lynch and anything that Catherine is involved with is sure to go down really well. Bound to be funny. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So what it is, there's three sisters and Catherine is one of them. But um, one of Catherine's sisters is married to a guy and he one day reveals that he's been having an affair behind her back. So she wants to kind of start fresh because she's heartbroken by all of this. She can't believe it. She wants to start fresh by selling her house. And in order to do up her house, she asks for a painter and decorator who's played by me. And my character is Zach. <laughs> um, Zach falls madly in love with one of the sisters. We're here to the Tivoli until the 20th of November. And mm -hmm. then after that, we're going to be touring Ireland nationwide. So we're going to be in a variety of different places. Sligo, Wexford, Waterford, Kilkenny, Kerry, you name it, we're going to be everywhere up until January 2016, so we're really looking forward to it. You'll have a blast. Absolutely. Brian, I'm going to show you around, as you can see right in front yeah. of you, which you can't miss, is the stage itself. Course, that's that's yeah. where all the magic happens. Yeah. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring you into the green room. So this is the famous green room here, yeah. Brenda. So sit down, have a seat, make yourself at home. It's not very salubrious. No, it's not, but you look listening, it'll do. It does the job. <laughs> Carl, you're Mr. Ireland, the mm -hmm. reigning Mr. Ireland. Yes. How long does it rain for? Like, when do you have to give it up? That is a very good question, Brenda. To this day, I still haven't got a clue. Because I tell you, the reason being is because I was crowned in May 2014. We're going back nearly a year and a half now at this stage. And usually, I think every and you're Mr. Ireland... still Mr. Ireland. Still Mr. Ireland, right. yeah, still Mr. Ireland. What they're doing is, is that I think it's every two years that they hand over the title. I've another good few months left, so... You'll be drawing the pension. You'll still be Mr. <laughs> Ireland. And what's wrong with that? Yeah, nothing wrong with that at all. No, it's it's uh, still a great achievement to have. Long may it continue. Why do you think it's an achievement? What does it mean to you? It means an awful lot to me, uh, Brenda, to tell you the truth. It's, I mean, just to be Mr. Ireland. Because the funny thing about it is not many people know what Mr. Ireland is, but it just sounds great. Mr. <laughs> Ireland, you know? People are like, Mr. Oh, that sounds important. Mr. Ireland, oh, okay, fair enough. But it, it's just great. I mean, even with my time when I was over for Mr. World, just to represent Ireland. I mean, we, have, we had about, I think it was 60 countries. So 60 guys representing their country. And, you know, I'm the only one from Ireland there. It's something that hopefully I can tell my kids and grandkids in years to come that, you know, Daddy was Mr. Ireland. It's an honour. Whenever you get to give your title back, will you miss it? Will you feel, oh, that's a part of me now? Oh, definitely. 100% I'll, uh, I'm going to miss it. I'm, I'm dreading handing over the title, to be honest with you. I want to keep it forever and ever and ever. <laughs> well, look, enjoy being Mr. Ireland for as long as you can be in the foreseeable future. I wanted to go back to something there because we talked about the fact that you were Mr Ireland yeah. and that was a real affirmation for you because yeah. you'd been through a tough time. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Yeah. Born in? I'm born in Crumlin. 
born and raised in Crumlin. Uh, family um, are from, my mum is from Harold's Cross, my dad is from um, the North Avenue, mm-hmm. so we're all south side. You know what, I had a great childhood, uh, had a great upbringing from my family. Mum and dad still around? Yeah, I still think? around, absolutely, live and healthy, so thank God, long may that continue. They're very proud of my achievements and as being Mr. Ireland. You know, school, I went to school in Crumlin. Well, actually, sorry, I went to school in Harold's Cross, which is obviously near enough to Crumlin. You know, that was great, but, you know, this is no sob story or anything like that. But I think everybody at some point in their life gets bullied to some degree, and, and I experienced that at a young age. But it was very tough at times. As I said, I had a great childhood, but there were times with the bullying that kind of made me feel down on myself and very depressed, and, uh, you know, there were tough times. When I think of you being bullied, I think of secondary school, but it started earlier than that for you. Mm-hmm. When when did you first become the focus of bullies? It was around primary school. I was probably around eight or nine. So I was quite young when I, I was getting bullied. And the thing about it was, Brenda, was that I was very I was a very sensitive child growing up. I mean, I was very happy. You know, I, I never saw any bad in anybody and everything was just all innocent to me and stuff like that. You know, if you had said boot to me, I'd, I'd probably end up crying, you know. But I was, as I said, overall, I was very happy. I loved playing. I loved running around. I loved playing sport and everything like that. But it was only till around eight or nine that I started getting bullied. And, sorry, started getting bullied. It was very tough for me. And I, I, could, I could never really understand it, to be honest, because it was never my intention to hurt anybody or upset anybody or, you know, make anyone cry or start fights. I was never like that at all. I always just had a, a big smile on my face 24-7 all the time. So I could never really understand why people were just randomly picking at me and making fun of me and calling me names and stuff like that and that really affected me and it affected my sort of outlook on life and mm. damaged my confidence at such a young age so I mean as time progressed the bullying laid off a little bit but there were tough times. Was it people in your class doing it? Mm-hmm. There were people in my class that were doing it particularly yeah. in primary. When I went to secondary the bullying continued when I went into first year mm. and the thing about me Brenda was that I was always very big for my age like I was always a big child like mm. I was very tall and very broad you know a lot more broader than the um your normal kid, you know, so when I was in first year, I looked like a sixth year. <laughs> I was always really big. When I went into first year, um, I had a shaved head. At the time, it just was cool to have a shaved head. Well, for me, it was And anyway. When I was in first year, I'd have all the six years calling me Shrek. Now, you might think of that and say, you know what, that's funny. But at the time, it wasn't funny. Um, even when I was, you know, passing the corridor and you just have the sixth years who would be nearly going into college, they'd be going, you yeah. <laughs> Shrek under their you know under their breaths and I could hear all this and I just I could never understand why people were having a go at me and I was like you know what is it have I done something or what's wrong with me that that people just seem to be picking on I can tell in a way it's a little bit hard to talk about this too because you're revisiting something that was tough but if you don't mind can can you remember what form did it take was it like physical abuse was it verbal abuse yeah thankfully it wasn't anything physical I suppose in comparison to the bullying that goes on nowadays Mm. it was minor but Bullying is still bullying at the end of the day, no matter what form it is. Um, but it was more verbal than anything. But I think because people knew that I was so upset. And I remember one day um, we were playing chasing or something like that. And I accidentally bumped into someone. And th- this is just a small example. But I bumped into somebody and I nearly knocked him over. Accident. You know, it was just I was very clumsy. And one of them turned around and goes, oh, you're fat effer. And that upset me. Like, I mean, I was only nine or ten at the time. And I remember... As I don't want to sound over dramatic by saying this, but I remember just getting down on my knees and just literally just bawling. Actually, I, I know again I can laugh at my own jokes no, and I can look back on it. Yeah. 
you know, I can look back on it and laugh, you know, maybe it was in that sense, but at the time, you know, it just wasn't, it wasn't funny, it was horrible. I didn't do anything on anybody, so I can never understand why I was receiving all this abuse. So fat was a big thing. Yes, it was mainly, it was all weight. Mm. It was all my weight. Um, I was very pudgy growing up, very big, very big boned. That's what my mum's excuse was. He's not fat, he's just big boned. <laughs> but yeah, it was mainly due to my weight because I was a lot bigger than most of the kids. It was heavier but taller as well. Yeah, exactly. You know, again, looking bigger, being taller physically than most of the kids because I stood out really in that sense and um, that, I think that was probably my, the, the main reason and I think obviously as well with kids some kids can be very sort of clever they can kind of pick who on who the most sensitive is or they might see the biggest and they think oh well we can take him on or whatever now as I said that's probably in a fiscal fight or you've got a lot of kids who kind of show off in front of their friends whereas they wouldn't say boo to you on their own we know teachers now watch out for all that kind of thing yeah. going on in school did nobody pick up on the fact that you were being bullied Nobody really picked up on the fact that I was being bullied purely because at the time I was very uh, secretive about it. And I felt that the more I held it in, at the time, at first, when I held it in, I thought, you know, that's it, it's all good. Like, I'm not going to, I'll just, you know, in one area out the other. But as time progressed, it was getting worse and worse and worse. And I was like, well, I need to tell somebody about it. To be honest, I never really told teachers about it. Like, what could they do? I mean, even though they are teachers and they have some sort of, well, they have discipline over you. But at the same time, I just didn't really feel it was necessary to tell the teachers. I remember going home and telling my parents about it. And I was getting really upset. And then my mom, she'd go down to the teachers. And, you know, she would always fight my battles for me as a typical mother. But, you know, there comes a time where mothers don't do that. They have to, you know, obviously do it on your own. That was later on in life. And Carl, sitting here chatting to you, you could tell you're a very outgoing, mm-hmm. social, chatty yeah, yeah, person. Yeah, that's it. And you could talk for hours, yeah. for Ireland <laughs> yeah, even. Yeah, yeah. But when you were being bullied like that, were you lonely? Was there a sense of isolation? Yeah, I definitely felt I was lonely because, you know, obviously when it came to school, with sports in particular, I wasn't the greatest of sports. You know, I, as I said, it was very heavy. So I wasn't able to run around. I wasn't very athletic in a lot of ways and in the way some kids were. And I, I just loved playing, even though I would be out of breath about like two minutes afterwards, which probably wasn't, obviously that doesn't matter. And I remember... There was two guys who were brilliant at football, and every break they'd always have to pick the teams. Always, they just they kind of they took it upon themselves. All right, we're going to pick the teams. We're the best sort of thing. So everyone, no one really said anything about it. So with that, they would pick whoever, and then I'd be wanting to get picked, and I'd be cutting like you know so innocent. Put me, you know, pick me, pick me, pick me. I'd be the last one. I'd be the very last one that they pick, and we'd, we'd pick her. Like so, it'd be between me and somebody else, and then the one guy would pick the other guy. And then the other guy was left with me and he was like, oh, well, I have no other choice, I have to have Carl. Just some, you know, small little things like that would always affect you. Did you really dislike school then? Oh, I hated school. And not even so much for the bullying, I just hated school in general. Like, I just hated the homework and everything about it. So it was bad enough going to school and going into an environment that I hated. But to be on the receiving end of bullying, and a lot of people say, you know, oh, you look back on it and say, school years are the best years of your life. They were not. Like, well, definitely for me, they were not. Like, funny enough, only recently I went back to my old school. I was a guest speaker for a milestone anniversary that took place in the school. And I think it's like 50 years in business or something like that it was. But I, I was invited back as a special guest, which was a huge honour for me. And just to speak about my background and my time in, in school and all of that. 
I have this little image of you, and I hope you don't mind me saying this, of a, a guy tall, too tall and maybe a little bit big for his age, mm-hmm. just going up to his bedroom, mm-hmm. wanting to connect so much yeah. with people. Yeah. And feeling very low in himself and maybe crying into his pillow. And I know that's all, but maybe that didn't happen. But I feel from what you're saying to me. Yeah, absolutely. I remember there was one day in particular coming home from school and I was really upset. And I can't remember exactly what it was, but I remember they name called me one day and they upset me over something because they knew I was quite sensitive. I remember one day in particular, I came home to my mom and I said, Ma, I just feel that my friends are turning against me. And I just, I remember sobbing, but I just remember being at the time, being very upset because what they were saying, it it was hurtful things. The thing for me is now is what I want to do is I want to get a message out to people nowadays because unfortunately, Brenda, I feel that bullying has gotten to the extreme, particularly with social media. For me, I just want to get a message out there. And I know this story has maybe been told many a times by other people I don't know. But for me, it's just, you know, it's a great achievement in the sense that, you know, from me getting bullied all those years ago to now becoming Mr. Ireland. And now that I kind of have this title, it has opened doors for me. But I also want to get a message across that it's not the end all be all, as some people may think. Those guys who name called you. Mm-hmm. Do you hold a grudge against them? I mean, if you saw them in the street, would you feel a little bit <laughs> funny about it or... Is it gone? Yeah. As the great song says, let it go. Let it go. Yeah, yeah, that's right. The song, all right. Um, no, Brenda, I never hold a grudge. Um, I was brought up to, to never hold a grudge because at the end of the day, if you're holding a grudge against someone or something, the only one who's suffering from it is yourself. Mm. So I never hold a grudge against anybody, no matter what the occasion is. If somebody has wronged me in some way, yeah, of course, it's okay to be upset and it's okay to feel hurt. But no, I don't. I mean, I think a lot of things as well is that even with the bullies, they have probably matured and they've probably looked back on it and say, Jesus, what was I like? Not even so much with Carl, but with other people mm. as well, because it wasn't just me. There were other people that were getting bullied as well. And with time, people mature and they get older, they get wiser and everything else. So I don't hold the grudge. And actually, funny enough, I only bumped into someone recently, one of the guys who did bully me quite a lot. And it's tell me no teeth, he was bald. Yeah, well, you know, yeah, <laughs> he, he wasn't far off, I can tell you. Yeah, yeah, that's it. He was very big. I bumped into him. And I said, oh, how are you getting on? And he was like, oh, Carl, how's things? Yeah, yeah, good, not too bad. Uh, I see you're doing this and I see you're doing that. Well done and everything. Yeah, I, was, I said, what are you doing with yourself? Oh, nothing really. I'm just kind of, on, I'm on the dole now and all this, you know. And there's nothing wrong with that. Absolutely nothing wrong with that whatsoever. But Surely you must have had a moment where you went, na, 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 Yeah, nah. absolutely. I was like, screw you sort of thing. I'm doing everything I can just to enjoy life. And do the best that I can to just get my name out there because it's what I love doing. I love, uh, I'm in you know in the entertainment industry, so I enjoy the things that I do. Again, I don't hold a grudge against anybody, even though they've given me a tough time or whatever. It's just let bygones be bygones and you just get on with life, really. I'm wondering, Carl, you were slagged over your weight, mm-hmm. okay? All fat, so whatever, mm-hmm. I don't want to regurgitate all yeah, the names. Absolutely. Your looks. And now you're Mr. Ireland, Mr. which is yeah. kind of a total yeah, turnaround. absolutely. Did that drive you to bring out the best of your assets, should we yeah. say? Do you know what? When I got bullied, as I mentioned, it never drove me to be a model or anything like that. As I just got older, people were kind of saying to me, you should be, have you ever thought about doing any modelling or anything like that? And I never, it never really dawned on me, Brendan, to be honest. I, was never re- I never really saw myself in that light. I never saw myself living that lifestyle or anything. And to tell you the truth, Brendan, I know you're, you're, you're going to disagree with me by saying this, but I don't class myself as a model. Um, because the reason being, okay, yeah, I model at fashion shows, I do this, if I'm asked to model a clothing brand or anything like that, I don't see myself as 
a model as such. It's great, obviously, to become Mr. Ireland because obviously when I became Mr. Ireland, I wanted to set a sample out for kids who are getting bullied, as I mentioned earlier on. And um, that was my main goal, really. It's just was to do that and just to show that there is light at the end of the tunnel. You know, and all you got to do really is just to speak up about it, and just and if you speak to somebody about it, that's half the battle. You might think nowadays, particularly with social media, as I mentioned, with cyberbullying and stuff like that, there's no end. But bullying will always continue for generations and generations, and it's a shame. Again, as I said, if you speak up about it the way I did, that is half the battle. And talking to someone about it helps an awful lot. So we're in secondary school, yeah. okay? We've had a tough first and second year. You don't like school, yeah? Then where did this confidence come from? Like, what happened? Did somebody say something to you? Did you read something? Yeah. Was there a moment? There was never a specific moment or a turning point where I got this confidence. i tell you what it was, actually, funny enough. I remember, as I mentioned, when I was growing up, I was always big, but I always looked older. I always looked older for my age. So when I was around 15, I looked around 20, 21. One thing I always remember, really, was doing the security. I used to do security uh, quite a lot. And the reason why I did security was because my dad was a security guard. He was, um, and still does to this day, actually. He's a supervisor, and he's done a lot of uh, VIP, corporate events, matches, concerts, the whole lot. You name it, he's done the whole lot. When I was growing up, I was always very shy, but I kind of got to a stage where I wanted to earn a bit of money. I was, like, kind of, I hit sort of mid-teens, and I was like, I wouldn't mind, like, a part-time job. And I said to my dad one day, I said, Dad, would you mind? I said, would you think I'd be you know, doing security with you, would that, do you think that could come into play at some point? And my dad being, my dad was like, well, Carl, I don't know, it's a, yeah, it's not really worth it. I said, but look, I mean, because I remember it was a football match and I was into, always into football, particularly growing up, and Ireland were playing, I always remember it was Ireland playing Australia to be precise, it was in the football in the old Lansdowne Road in 2003, I was 14, my dad was, was getting ready and I said, do you think, like, would it be possible to, to work at it? And he goes, look, I'll tell you what, I'll make a phone call for you. So he rang his, his supervisor, because my dad was kind of just on the way up at that time, and uh, he rang his supervisor, and he said, look, my son, is he's 14, but he looks very old. You know, is there any chance, well, not very old, he looks older. <laughs> uh, is there any chance he could come along? He goes, I'll tell you what, put him in a suit, short and tie. So I'm 14 years of age, in a suit, short and tie, shaved head, very broad, but still innocent and everything. But I was so enthralled, because here I am at a forced football match, and working at it, and getting paid for it, which was great. But... To answer your question, Brendan, that particular football match kind of snowballed into other events. And the security that we do is all sort of VIP, but it's more meet and greet. It's not sort of door worker, it's not nightclubs or anything like that, or checking ID. It's all kind of dealing with the public and interacting with the public. And as I got older, doing the security gave me the confidence to be able to talk to people and to speak to people and to... It, it was funny, actually, I know I mentioned there that, that we didn't really check ID, but there was one gig in particular. I think we worked at Slane one year. I was one of the festivals. I was 16, I was, and I was at the bar. And I had the confidence to stop people who were older than me checking for ID. And it's a funny story that I always reminisce on all the time because I'm just thinking to myself, Geez, I was 16 stopping like a, a 21 year old I was stopping people just for the sake of it I kind of just felt it out bored at times I was like okay I know he looks older than 18 but I'm going to stop him in anyway you lost just, the run of yourself yeah exactly exactly I didn't do it all the time but I, I just remember there was one specific event 
that I had to stop people. And uh, but again, that was the confidence. That was the turning point for me. Do so you the think the security gave you the confidence? The security gave me the confidence. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I was the funny thing is I was the youngest security guard in Ireland at one point mm-hmm. because there, was, there wasn't anybody at that stage that was doing security at seventeen years of age, sixteen, whatever it was that I, I started doing. And we we did football matches and we did I did small events all with my dad. You know everything that I did with security was all through him. You know looking back on it now. That was the point where doing all the security helped me get, get the confidence just to speak to people because beforehand I was very quiet, very shy, didn't really know what to say to people. But but now I could I talk to that wall if if it spoke back to me, you know that kind of way. Really, Carl? Yeah, yeah. You'd never think of Brenda, <laughs> but yeah. And also with the security as well. As time went on, I got older naturally enough, but I grew and I was getting a bit more broader. Leading up to obviously from my days of bullying to that point when I was doing security, I was still kind of very pudgy and still very kind of heavy along with the security did come physical changes and I got older and I realised I was like well, hang on a minute I, I want to change my body so what I wanted to do was I wanted to just lose the weight and tone up nothing to you know to the degree of bodybuilder or getting ripped or six pack or anything but just kind of feeling good in myself I started working out more I definitely felt better in myself with the security as I mentioned that changed an awful lot for both for me mentally and physically. And I said at the beginning that you're pursuing a well, acting career. It all seems yeah. to be on the up, etc. Yeah. When did the bug happen? Was it always there? Was it in the family? Yeah, well, funny enough, it was never in the family. They were very, just a normal, mm. everyday family. My dad was a courier by trade. My mum was a childminder. My sister worked in a creche. But for whatever it was with me, Brenda, I, I remember when I was younger, every Christmas, myself and Maria, that's my sister, we always used to do these role plays. My dad used to get these um, old-fashioned video recorders. We'd be sitting on the couch on Christmas Eve and introducing ourselves and doing this and that and, you know, coming down the next morning and he'd film us opening our presents. But one of the things he always used to do was uh, get us to do, like, role plays. He was a huge fan of um, Mel Brooks and all Gene Wilder and all those type of things. So, you know, we used to get dressed up and whatever. My sister hated it. She always used to hate, like, why do we have to do this again and all? I was like, Henry, come on, let's just do it one more time. So from an early age, that's when I kind of did acting. And I just always found that it was, I know there's more to it than this, but I always just, the thought of getting into a different character, putting on an accent, getting into costume, performing in front of people, that just appealed to me. I just felt like saying, this is this is what I want to do. And how I started was I, um, Bull Alley in Liberty's College. They do an amazing um, performing arts course there. And I remember I went to the Bull Alley um, one day. It was an opening day. With that course, um, they came singing. Now, I was never a singer. But I remember I was given like a bar of a song and um, I, I sang it. Now, what I, was it? It was, remember? yeah, it was um, um, another another opening another show another, another opening opening another show in Philly or Boston or Baltimore whatever it was a chance for stage folks to say hello another opening of another show and I did in a real deep voice and now I'm not a singer as I mentioned but I just kind of felt so comfortable doing it so to be honest it all really clicked for me uh, it was the right place right time with Bull Alley Bull Alley gave me the confidence to pursue acting even more it gave me stage experience we used to do like local productions as well and we used to do role plays and everything like that so it's funny because when I started off doing it uh, for those Christmas videos when I was younger with my sister fast forward the years later here I am now doing it 
in front of people. It's funny how things work, but it all just clicked for me. It was at the right place at the right time. You mentioned your dad a lot and your mm. close parents and that, but it sounds to me like you have a great relationship with your dad. Yes. I have a great relationship with my dad. We're not just father and son. We're, you know, we're best friends as well. We get on great. Oh. We tell each other everything. It's funny because we've done a lot of things together. We've done security together. We work out together. We still loves keeping fit and after all these years and he's put me to shame as well but anything you know if I want advice he'd be the one to say and he'd tell you you know Carl do this or don't do that just think of this and think of that but he's my number one fan he supports me in everything that I do and you know he encourages me to try everything you know I'm very grateful to have him in my life what's his name what's his first name Michael now I know this is going to sound a bit odd yeah. but Ronaldo yeah. the name Ronaldo yeah. the soccer player is Ronaldo yeah yeah represent two significant yeah. parts of your life. Absolutely. Explain. Yeah. The significance yeah. of Ronaldo is very odd. Basically, when I was growing up, everyone used to say I was the image of the Brazilian Ronaldo. And this was when I was around probably eight or nine. So this was kind of going back to the bullying days. And this is how I was getting bullied. But Ronaldo at the time was the number one superstar in the soccer world. He was just, he was setting the world alight and he was a fantastic footballer. Wasn't the best looking, but it was always very known for putting on weight, partying quite a lot. But a lot of people would say that I would have very similar features to, with him. The shaved head, the pudginess, the, the dark skin and the buck teeth. But then, ironically enough, I got taller and my physique was changing. So everything about me was changing. I grew my hair and I was gelling it and a lot of people would then say, you're the image of Cristiano Ronaldo. And so many people would say it. And did you get work as a lookalike then for Ronaldo? It, it was funny how it all happened. It's funny how things happened, Brenda. I did actually. People would say to me, would you not apply for your lookalikes, you know, a lookalike agency as Ronaldo? You'd get tons of work. And then as a result, I got gigs as a Ronaldo lookalike and a Ronaldo impersonator. And it was, I mean, I was over in London there recently and I had to do a, a Ronaldo lookalike for a, a Japanese TV show. Yeah, it's funny how both Ronaldos represent different times in my life from an early age to nowadays. You've taken the big step. Mm -hmm. You've moved across the water. Yes. You're now living in London. Yes, I am. I'm living in London at the moment. It's going really well. I've kind of gotten to a stage, like I've done a lot of things over here, Brenda, which have been, have given me great experiences. I've met so many people along the way. But unfortunately for me and for everyone who wants to pursue a career in whether it's acting, modelling, presenting, whatever the case may be, anything in the show business industry, there just doesn't seem to be enough work in Ireland. So I decided to do that and as it worked out perfectly because I have a girlfriend who was living over in London, which is fantastic. Okay, explain how you met because it's one of those ones yeah. that you're kind of going, yeah. are you really together or yeah, are you yeah, together exactly. together yeah, just yeah. for publicity? Yeah, so it's funny, but just going back, like even when you're saying with the whole Ronaldo thing, it's when I'm telling you all this, I don't even believe it, do you know what I mean? But this is this is true. I actually met my girlfriend on Take Me Out, the ITV version with Paddy McGuinness. Which is the dating show. The dating show, yeah. The girl who I chose, she left her light on for me, obviously, because that's who I chose. And um, we went on our first date to the Isle of Fernandos. And we've been together ever since. That's stuff. Yeah. For the cameras or for real? A lot of people were asking, is it for the cameras? Because they're familiar with the work that I do. 
And they were thinking, is it a publicity stunt? If it is a publicity stunt, it's fantastic. Or I, not nice. Yeah, yeah. well, that's it. But I, you know what? I can understand people thinking like that. But hand on my heart, and I mean this, and I'm very proud to say this, but it isn't. Like, it's one of them crazy random love stories that came through. And it's it's just fantastic how we meet. And I'm very proud of that. And, you know, it's everything's going really well between the both of us. And, and what's her name and what she do? Her, and... Yeah, her name is Rachel. She's a dance teacher. She teaches young kids how to dance. She's in the process of setting up her own stage school over in London, and it's going really well for her. So um, she's she's in the sort of the performing uh, industry as well. She's done shows and. But more importantly, does Mammy and Daddy like her? Oh, Mammy and Daddy love her. Mammy and Daddy love her. She's been over to Dublin twice, so she obviously met my parents at the time, and they just they absolutely love her, which is great for me. You know, I it, that means an awful lot to me. It's always good that your parents approve of someone that you love and obviously now being in London for work reasons is great because it's going really well for me over there but it helps an awful lot that Rachel lives over there also so it's a uh, you know long may I continue Carl it's been lovely talking to you the time has just flown like do have a show to do yes, so yes, I better indeed. leave you in peace <laughs> as we look to the future now yeah. do you feel lucky? I feel blessed Brenda to tell you the truth I feel really blessed I'm very lucky to be at a stage in my life where I'm still learning I'm still experiencing so many different things as well at first it was very tough as I mentioned with the bullying but I feel lucky in the sense that I'm doing what I love to do um, I never thought back then I'd be Mr Ireland but just more importantly just getting the message out there for the younger generation who are experiencing the things that I went through when I was younger and I just want to get the message across that you know there is light at the end of the tunnel and I'm doing things in my life that I'm very blessed and very thankful for the beauty about the whole thing, Brenda, as I mentioned, is that it's still a, a travelling journey. I'm still learning so many different things, as I mentioned, and long may it continue. Carl Bow, still Mr Ireland, currently appearing in You Don't Bring Me Flowers here in the Tivoli. Yeah. Thank you for your time and for talking to me today on Out of the Ordinary. Brenda, pleasure as always. Thank you so much for your time and I look forward to seeing you again. Out of the Ordinary with Brenda Donoghue on RTE Radio 1 Extra.